Hello and welcome to Can't Find My Way Home, the podcast where expats from around the globe talk about the music and art scene in their adopted home. I'm your host, Craig. On this episode of Can't Find My Way Home, I spoke with American expat Andy Knowlton. Andy's involved in various artistic projects in Daegu, South Korea. We get into his uh, poetry work, guerrilla art, street poetry, drunken poet dolls, an annual poetry contest that Andy's put together. We also look at his publishing arm, which is called Pondicherry Books. There's also talk about the positive nature of social media. And of course, on the other side of that, the not so positive nature of social media. We also discuss Andy's inspiration, who he admires in the world of poetry. And we get a little kind of a homage to Richard Brodigan. I'll let Andy explain. So without further ado, Andy Nolte. What about yourself, Andy? Where are you from originally? Uh, so I was born in Paris, France. Uh, lived there for about 10, 11 years and then uh, moved to the States. And my family, my parents are American, so my nationality is U.S. But I've, I've lived out of the States more than I've lived in the States at this point. Having been here now over 10 years and having lived in France for most of my childhood, uh, it's sort of strange to think of the States as home, even though it is, you know, most of my family is there now. But I came to Korea in 2007. And like a lot of expats, I think my plan was just to come for a year or two. <laughs> and, you know, Isn't that the truth, you know? <laughs> 17, yeah. 17 years later, I decided to <laughs> you know? Exactly, yeah. It was, it was just, uh, you know... Like, like I said, just a year or two was what I was expecting. And then I met my girlfriend, who's now my wife. That's obviously one of the reasons. I, I love Korea as well. That's another reason. But I, yeah, one thing led to another, and it's been more than 12 years. But it really feels like home, and I, I really do enjoy being here. And when you were in the States, where, where did, you, did you grow up? Uh, I was in the East Coast in the Washington, D.C. area, Maryland. Yeah, my, my family, my parents are still there. So whenever I do return home, that's that's kind of home base. It's, it's one of these interesting questions I get asked quite a lot too, but how, how would you describe home or what do you think of as home or where would you call home? Oh, and I, th- I think you, you, you have a complete, yeah, this is really unique. You know, you have like... This. It's a really hard question. I mean, when I lived in France, I was kind of like the American kid because my family was American and everybody would say, Hey, say something in English. <laughs> uh, when I moved to France and when I moved to the United States, I became the French kid because I lived in France as a kid. And so everyone was like, Hey, so, say something in French. And now I'm here and I don't really know what that means. Like I'm obviously not Korean. You know, I don't look like <laughs> anybody else here. But I think, I don't know, that concept of home is sort of strange to me. I think I feel home wherever my family is, wherever, whenever I'm with my family. I have a brother who lives in Singapore. And when I see him, when I'm with him, I feel like I'm home. When my parents are here visiting us, then I feel like I'm home. You know, it's not necessarily so much a place. And also, you know, you go home and things change and 
it's it's hard to really think of it as as my home when I'm back in Maryland. Definitely. Uh, it's yeah. also a bit like when you've moved, or excuse me, when you've lived somewhere for so long, like 10 years. Uh, mm-hmm. 10 years, that's right, in South Korea, yeah? Yeah. And then another 11 or 12 years in France as a, as a youngster. Yeah, it's it's hard to, really, to say where your roots are because they're, they're all over the place. Right, right. But I, I think I enjoy that. I enjoy change. I enjoy moving. I like the challenge of trying to adapt to a new place. So it doesn't make me sad in any way that I don't really feel necessarily that that's home. I I kind of enjoy it. I like bouncing around. I'll probably be here. I don't know for how much longer, but I'd be happy to go and live somewhere else as well. You yeah, just have, like, to, you just have like, to convince the missies now, eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think she'd be game too. We, we've done a fair bit of bouncing around together. We spent a couple years from around 2016 to 18 traveling. And so she she's definitely an adventurous person. So I don't think I would have to twist her arm too much to convince her to go live somewhere else. It might not be, it might not go so well with her parents. <laughs> you cross that she, bridge when you come to it. Eh? Yeah. So we've kind of covered how, how did you get to where you are today, but how would you describe yourself, Andy, as an artist? You know, primarily we're talking about your, your art project. So how would you yeah. describe yourself in this context? Um, well, I mean, I, I'd say my, my beginnings were in writing. I always wanted to be a writer when I was younger. Um, I worked for newspapers in school. Uh, I worked as a journalist when I graduated from university for a year. And I really wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write like the great American novel. I wanted to be that next guy. You know, I had kind of ridiculous aspirations. But I slowly started drifting from wanting to write a novel to wanting to write poetry more and more. And so I guess when I was around university, my senior year, I really started getting into poetry and writing more more and more poetry. And uh, when I came here, I actually right before I came here, I was wanting to get published and finding it really, really difficult. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to contact. And it was really frustrating. I didn't want to spend all my time just sending out manuscripts and sending out this and that to people who sometimes don't even read it or they don't even send you a rejection letter. Sometimes it just drifts off into exactly. It just disappears. And I found that to be very much a waste of time and very frustrating. And so instead of doing that, I decided to start leaving my poems like everywhere I went, I would write poems on paper. And then if I went to a bookshop, I would tuck it into one of the books in the bookshop. Or if I went to a clothing store, I would tuck it into the pocket of the, sh- the shirt or the pants. If I went to a cafe, I'd leave one on the table. And so I was trying to get my art out that way. Um, and then when I came here, I was finding that that's not really so easy to do because of the language barrier. And so actually, I think that was a very pivotal time for me because I started thinking, if I want to communicate words and poetry to people here, I need to start doing it in a more visual way. And thanks to that language barrier, I started getting into visual art more and more. And as a result, I'd say now what I do is kind of street poetry. 
I try to put the poems into visual objects that I can put out on the streets and people can find and discover poetry that way. So one of my like main projects that I do is I, I make these little dolls called drunken poet dolls and they are made out of trash that I find on the streets. And each doll is different and has a different character, a different personality, different expression. And I make these dolls and then I leave them on the streets with a little bottle and each bottle has a little poem inside of it. So people can discover the dolls that way and they can discover my poems that way. That was a slow process to get there. And there was a lot of work in between, but um, that's, I think that's one of the main projects that people might recognize of me. And so, yeah, I guess to make a long story short, street poetry is, I guess, what I would say that I do among many other projects and many other adventures. But I guess, yeah, some people would say guerrilla art, guerrilla poetry, and I'm fine with any of that. It's all, it's all fine with me. <laughs> the, the more publicity, the better, and, uh, or at least getting yeah. your, getting, getting your word out there. Because the video right. I saw last week was mm -hmm. the one, would you, de would you describe it as a kind of paper mache head? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The big mask. Yeah. Yeah. Tell yeah, us about that, because exactly you need to forgive me, because I can't remember the name of the video, what it was linked to. Yeah, it was called Street Fight. It's, um, that's actually a whole nother project that I do. I do an annual poetry contest, and it's sort of like the lowbrow poetry contest, whereas, you know, most poetry contests are very fancy, schmancy. And a bit and, urbane and, you know, all of that navel-gazing, yeah, maybe, to some extent. Boring, and a lot of times you have to pay money to get in. What I'm trying to do with this one is like the complete opposite. It's for anybody. It's free. The, the reason why I do this is because I saw this documentary 10 years ago, I'd say. It's called Off the Charts, and it's about song poems. And there's this whole sort of weird cult underground uh, world of people who make song poems. Basically, you can write a poem and you send it to this company. You pay them a hundred bucks and they turn your poem into a song. And when I saw this documentary, I thought, I thought it was fake. I thought it was a mockumentary. I couldn't <laughs> believe the people who they found who actually like did this. It was hilarious. And I thought I have to send them one of my poems just to see if this is real. And so I had a poem called Origami Paper Liquor. I just picked it because it's one of my most ridiculous poems. I sent it to them and they sent me back a song. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> I've got to, I've got to do something more with this. Okay. Let's so get I made the ball a music rolling. video. Yeah, I made a music video, Origami Paper Liquor. And then I wanted to keep that going. I thought this is too good to not continue. And so I decided to do an annual poetry contest where each year the winner, I send their poem to that company, make a song out of it, and then I turn it into a music video. So it's been now eight years. This year was the dance poetry contest. Each year there's a different theme. And so the video that you saw, Street Fight, is based on the winning poem for this year's contest. So it's, a, it's not me singing the song. It's the guy from the company. Yeah, it's just the way that I try to get more people involved in poetry and my family. It's mostly family and friends. And it's a really fun thing that I, I really enjoy doing each year. And also I send, I send a book to everybody who participates, handmade book with all the submissions. Yeah, I really love doing that 
project each year. That sounds like a real passion project as well. I can uh, get, get that feeling from me. Where do you yeah. where do you find the the people who want to participate in it? Then how do you how do you get people involved yourself? I I usually just will make like a sort of poster and send it out on Instagram, Facebook. Sometimes it's people who I who I meet or work with who I tell them about it and they want to participate. But mostly, like I said, family and friends who who know that I'm doing this each year. It's pretty small. It's not not really like in the hundreds. It's more like in the tens or in the twenties of of submissions. But it's it's enough that I can handle it and that I can make these handmade books each year. If it was too big, I don't think I would continue. So I kind of like keeping it relatively small. And uh, yeah. is there a particular time of year that this comes around? Since we're now yeah, going to June, well, in a week or so. Yeah, but. yeah. I usually will put out the the sort of invitation in uh, November, and it runs from November first to December fifteenth each year. And I always throw in a word that you have to use in the poem, something kind of to just throw you off a little bit, something weird. Uh, it's just a very quirky thing, I think, this this contest. But I really enjoy it because a lot of times my friends' kids will get involved. And sometimes I have friends who said, oh, my kids didn't like writing, they didn't like poetry, but thanks to your contest, now they're getting into it and they're starting to write. So it's it makes it feel really worth it when I hear things like that. Excellent. It seems like breaking a lot of these kind of stereotypical ba- barriers of like you were saying, it might be a bit stuffy or it has a kind of reputation of being a bit exactly. dull and exactly. gray, but you're bringing a lot of color to it. Yeah, that's sort of one of my main goals with all of my projects is to sort of like, I feel like when I discovered poetry, I thought there was so much more to it that people don't know about. There's a lot of funny poetry out there. There's a lot of kind of funky poetry and strange poetry and edgy poetry. But most of what we learn in school is so boring. And, and uh, long. I think some of it is really long. Very you know? long, very complicated. And so I felt like there was a gap that needed to be filled. And so that's sort of one of my main goals is to kind of throw some funkiness inside there. Why not, man? Let's bring it bring it yeah. up to date. It's uh, Absolutely. It definitely, uh, I really enjoyed the video with the, we won't spoil the video. We'll add it to the show notes and some links and stuff. But yeah, there's some really cool yeah. stuff there. And it's quite surreal. So it's, uh, you know. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I think pants. also there's um, there's a lot of opportunity to create fun poetry. And because I believe that poetry is in all other art forms, like a song is basically a poem that you sing. And that's why I really wanted to do this this contest and include music in it because everybody relates to music, whether you know the song, whether you know the lyrics or understand them, people connect to music in so many ways. And I, I want to infuse other arts into the poetry and sort of just mix it all up. And bring your own twist to it, bring your own flavor right. to it. Yeah. And then really, Definitely. Make, really put your own stamp on, I guess that's the word I'm looking for. Tell us about some of the years, some of your other projects, Andy, I know there's something called, Pondicherry Books, is that right? Am I pronouncing it? Yeah, yeah. Pondicherry Books. I just started a publishing company last year. It's been just about one year. Uh, It's a very small endeavor, but for the same reason that, as I was saying before, that I don't really enjoy sending out my work and and praying for somebody to accept it. I I had a book of poems of mine that I wanted to publish, and so I figured if I'm going to publish my books. If I'm going to self-publish my book, why not find some friends who are interested in publishing their books and I can help them out? 
I can get somebody to design a cover for it, translate some stories, because some of them are from Korean authors. Mm -hmm. I was going to say that later. You, you're, you're knocking off all my questions here. You've been reading my notes before when I was at the <laughs> room. It's like, you know, so I was going to ask, do you work alone or collaborate with uh, locals and expats and whatnot? But we'll come to that later. It's okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's just, um, it's just I, f it, I figure if I'm going to put my own work out there, I might as well see if I can get others who, who have stories to tell, who have books that they've written. I think there's a lot of undiscovered talent. And um, it's really fun for me. It's very small and mostly online. I'm trying to get more bookstores to carry these books. It's just a very humble beginning right now, but it's been a lot of fun. It's, we've only, I've only published four books and two of them are written by me. <laughs> we'll see. It's, a, it's just the, the very beginning, but I'm hoping to find more people who have stories to tell and yeah, definitely are these collections of poetry or when you said books there i think yeah. that, put, that puts a different picture in, in a lot of people's mm -hmm. minds when they think well is it a novel is it a collection yeah. of short stories what exactly is it so the first one the first book that we published is confetti it's a book of poems that i wrote the second one is a, a collection of short stories uh, by a Korean author. It's called Magical Thunderclaps. The next one was uh, called Hideki's Flying Toilet Invention. <laughs> it's short stories by a Japanese author. I think a lot of the, the work that we're publishing is very sort of surreal, also quirky. I, I'm looking for stories like that. I'm looking for poetry like that, fiction mostly. Just, just something different, something that you won't find in most publishing companies, something sort of on the outskirts of all of that. The name Pondicherry, where does that come from? Yeah, that's a town in India. And I don't know why I decided that. I think I just liked the way that the word sounded. Uh, I originally wanted to call it Confetti Books, but that name was already taken. So I went with, uh, I went with Pondicherry. I, it just has a nice sound to it. It does, I like, yeah. <laughs> I like yeah, it. It the, kind of the, resonates the, for some reason. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, a good ring to it, I think. Definitely, in a good way. Uh, so what about your collaborative work? Uh, do you mostly work alone in these projects or you're collaborating with, you mentioned they're a Japanese author. And yeah. how, does, how does that come about, your, your work process? With the, with the Pondicherry or with just general work? In, ge in general, yeah. Let's take a general view. Mostly, I mean, except for Pondicherry, I don't really do a lot of collaborations. I would like to. Unfortunately, so many of the projects I do take a year, sometimes two years, sometimes five years, and I'm just in my studio working, 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 working. It's not easy to really get together with people when you spend so much time pursuing these, these dreams. But I'm hoping, I'm working on one project right now that is, it's a daily project that I've been working on for now, 217 days. And uh, <laughs> Not that you're counting. Not that I'm counting, but I'm, I'm enjoy, as much as I'm enjoying it, I'm looking forward to the 365th day so that I can get working on something else, have some, some, some free time to start thinking about maybe a collaboration. But I do mostly, most of my work alone. What about the, the market for your books? I mean, have you living in South Korea for quite, mm -hmm. a, long, uh, quite a length of time? How, yeah. how do the locals take to it? Is there a certain kind of group of friends you have or a network or Facebook groups? Or I think it's mostly um, through word of mouth and, yeah, just sending it out on social media. That seems to be the main thing. I have, 
I have a few bookshops that are carrying some Pondicherry books, but it's mostly just through social media at, at this point. I, I'm hoping to this year. Well, I don't know about this year because things are a little bit strange, but hoping to start going to some book fairs and spreading the word more. That's that's my plan. But it's also sort of a side project. So I don't spend too much time planning and thinking about it. What what would those future plans be? Do you have, you, you have these kind of like a, a list of things, you know, you, you add them yeah. to your phone every day and then very long list of ideas of projects that I'd like to do and people who I would like to work with. I really would like to start actually getting into music. I have zero musical talent, never played any instruments, but I think that it would help me a lot to learn some instruments and, and start dabbling in music. So that's one of the things. But I also have other kind of street art projects that I would like to do. I don't usually give away all the ideas and the plans because I think a lot we'll, of my we'll projects... We'll keep it under wraps then. Yeah. yeah, a lot of my projects sort of, they have to have the element of surprise. Otherwise, it's like, oh, uh, he said he was <laughs> going to do it. There it is. What about, um, what about so your I, background, Andy? Your how did you get into like poetry and art in general and things was this i don't know i mean i guess i always been a big reader i think my because my father was a journalist and i used to always look up at him typing stories away on his typewriter i think i always thought that it was cool that he was telling stories my mother always took us to the museum so i think we were always exposed to art and uh, my oldest brother is a very talented artist my other brothers are also both very artistically talented so I think it's sort of just been in our family. And how I got to this, that's another question. I don't know. I just sort of got into it and never stopped. That's as good a reason as any. Yeah. I mean, it makes me very happy. It makes me very happy to do this and to see the ideas come to fruition. And just to, to have that daily exercise of trying to create something, uh, I think it brings a lot of sort of balance in the li- in my life and joy and calmness so do you do you think that social media has definitely helped or that the advent or the the way it's used these days has really mm-hmm. got a lot more people to see what you're doing or at least to kind of have an idea of what you're doing than before definitely. you know in the, in the, in the, the days of black and white for example right when we yeah yeah i think i think definitely i mean i i'm very glad that i can show it to people in an easy way I think it's it I think it also can drive you to want to do it more when when you see that people are enjoying it it sort of adds fuel to your fire and makes you feel like oh okay people are responding to this in a good way that makes me want to continue and show them that I can do more that I can do better things and uh, and and I get so many ideas and inspiration from people that I follow on social media it's almost on a daily basis that I see something that I think oh that's really really cool and I'd like to make something like that or you know maybe I could use those kinds of colors in my art or just oh he's this artist has really been improving it's really working hard and that that also can inspire you. So I think it's it's a wonderful thing for me. It's all about getting those likes now, isn't it? There's this kind of Absolutely. peer this, I don't know if it's yeah, peer pressure, but it's, you know, well, what would we do for more likes when I'm, I'm a desperate? Right. Uh, I find this a real, a time-consuming thing. Like making podcasts and talking with people is the is the passion project part of it. It's, right. This is a bit that doesn't really take any concerted energy. It's just a thing that's... Right. It's great to do and you meet really cool people along the way. But then it's like this constant pressure of, all right, I've got to add it to this one and then make a new thing and right. then do another and then keep going and going and going. And yeah, I mean, I honest, don't think I've I'm... Lost, 
I've run out of steam some weeks. Yeah, I don't think I'm necessarily good at, at you know, putting it everywhere. I, I'll post it at one place and kind of just stick to that. I think also another thing that's, that's the struggle for a lot of people is that that feeling that you need to post something daily or that you have to show something that you've done on a very consistent basis. And I really try hard not to do that because I think it sort of waters down the message and waters down the art. Personally, I mean, I don't know, other people might see it differently, but I really try not to post anything unless I feel like I have something to say. It was the same thing when I played in bands, you know, you you made a a CD or you played a show somewhere or you had a a gig coming up and you want want to get the one out there as much as possible and then right. the, the day comes and there's two men and a dog I feel lucky <laughs> you know again you know it's, it's the same dog right so, but it's, it's this constant pressure but I think yeah maybe as you get a bit older speaking for myself maybe as you get a bit older and a bit kind of wiser around the ears and that you take it as it you take it as it comes I use wiser with a very small W but you know <laughs> you just take it as it comes and then you you make the best of it yeah definitely we were talking just a, a at the beginning, there before, get water, or whatever. It's all good, man. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> let's have a little bit of a cough. Uh, where were we? Ah, mm-hmm. so the trash, you also make trash art things. So maybe we talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I made um, the dolls. The dolls are all made out of trash. Okay, so um, that, that's where we were. What are the dolls called? Right. I call them drunken poet dolls. Drunken poet dolls, fantastic. Mostly because they've got they've got little bottles on them, and uh, so they kind of look like they're just sitting on the street drinking. Um, <laughs> you, you, would know, you would never see that in South Korea, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, it, I don't know. Just just a just a name. I thought I would give them a name, but I've done a lot of other projects with trash. Uh, one is called the Umbrella Project. Uh, I. I guess about four or five years ago, I started noticing that after big rainstorms in Seoul, I was living in Seoul at the time, that you would find umbrellas all over the street. You know, uh, after monsoon season, they're just all over. People just throw them, you know, (laughs) they buy it at the convenience store, use it once and throw it out on the street. Uh, And I, I sort of, because I've been doing trash art for a long time, I try to find patterns in the art in the trash. And so I started noticing this pattern that every year after the big rains, you find the umbrellas, you find the umbrellas. So I started collecting them, not knowing exactly what I was going to do with them. And uh, I just one day thought, why don't I fix them and turn each umbrella into sort of its own artwork. I, I kind of took three or four or five umbrellas and stitched them into different images, pictures, words, and uh, I fixed them all up like this with my little touch. And then the next time it would rain, I would go out on the street and find somebody who didn't have an umbrella and just hand out umbrellas with my little artistic touch on them. So that was the kind of reaction did you get from 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 it was funny. I'm, it really, was really, I'm really curious when it's uh, having it looked at really myself. Cool. It was really cool because, you know, a lot of people were just kind of like, what, who, what, what, who are you? But a lot of people were just so happy and thankful and there were people just getting drenched, you know, and if somebody comes up and hands you an umbrella when you're getting drenched, 
seems like you'd be pretty happy. Yeah, yeah the, a lot the of rainy people, season in South Korea is pretty rainy. It's um, yeah, yeah. A lot of people were pretty stoked. I, I think especially old people, they were really liking it. I don't know why, but they they were very happy to get those umbrellas. So it was it was fun. It was the yeah the umbrella project. I w- might do that again someday. I really enjoyed that. What about your own inspirations or your own when you were younger yourself, Andy? What what you got? kind of stuff were you reading and enjoying as a young a youngster uh, all kinds of stuff um i think what really got me into reading poetry specifically was the beat generation from the united states uh it's sort of a cliche thing for young people to find but i think it's also sort of a good gateway the beat writers like jack kerouac allen ginsberg i i mean i wasn't reading that when i was super young but I think that's sort of what got me into poetry. I'd say my favorite uh, poet is probably a guy called Richard Brodigan, who was sort of kind of on the edge of the beat poets. And I, I another project that I did based on Richard Brodigan that I wanted to tell you about, I call it the Richard Brodigan Library Project. He's a sort of very funky, funny, surreal author from the 60s, San Francisco. And he has a book called the abortion, which is about this weird little library, a fictitious library where anyone who has written a book can just show up. It could be a little five-year-old girl with a book about turtles that she wrote and illustrated, or it could be a a 93-year-old grandmother with a book about toenails that she wrote. And these characters, they show up to this library and uh, they put their books on the shelves There's a specific chapter in this book called The 23. And in The 23, Richard Brodigan writes about 23 of the books that were brought into this weird little library on one day. And there's a one paragraph description of each book and the author. And when I read this, I thought it was hilarious and (laughs) just the quirkiest, funniest story that I ever read. And I also really felt like I have to make these books into real books. I have to do this this is like my calling kind of <laughs> take it to so the i was reading step. i was reading this and really thinking that i have to i have to take it there so this project was basically i took those 23 paragraphs and i tried to get into the head of all 23 of their authors and i wrote each story they're short they're not super super long but i wrote all 23 stories and designed the covers and next i took them to san francisco where the story took place and i created this little portable library and i actually took it to the location where the story takes place Uh, it's in front of a real library in san francisco and i set it up so that i could introduce it to the locals and talk about my project. Finally, after that, I took it to Washington State, where the real Richard Brodigan Library is actually located, and I donated my tiny library to them. It's a kind of a homage project, since I'm such a big fan of him and such a big fan of that book. It was something that I really felt like I I'm not going to ever be happy with myself or live with myself if I don't do this. So that was another big pra- passion project. Um, and I am actually... to finish? Yeah, we talked about the Pondicherry books. The, the latest release is actually some of the stories that I wrote for that project. So it's a kind of compilation of, of some of the, the stories that I wrote for the Richard Brodigan project. And Richard Brodigan was, you were saying he was kind of on the outskirts of the... 
his beat generator, the more well-known right. beat generation post. What, what was yeah. it you attracted to, to him in particular? Was it just his humor? Quirk, I think nature and yeah, he's very funny, and I really like funny stuff. I like funny books, funny stories and i actually laugh out loud when i read some of his stories which is, is rare and a lot of the beat guys they take themselves so seriously and they think they're so cool and richard brodigan was kind of making fun of himself and you know he had really had a great sense of humor and a, an interesting perspective on things that i i think you if you were to read my poetry you would see a lot of of Richard Brodigan influence. So yeah, that, that project was really an awesome thing that I was very happy to do. And, and now that they have my books in the Richard Brodigan library, it feels like it's kind of an honor to be included in part of this story. Definitely. There you go. That's a, that's a first, or at least yeah. it's for me speaking to someone and doing that, it's a first. That's fantastic. I mean, it's a really, yeah. maybe a lot of us have these ideas of doing things, but it's, it's actually seeing it through to the end is quite, quite an achievement, quite an accomplishment. Yeah. It's, Rega it's regardless like, of the accolades, you know, you don't, you're not doing it for that. Right. I mean, yeah, I got very little attention for that project. Not a lot of people know who Richard Brodigan is for. Hopefully a few more do after listening to this. Hopefully, yeah. Certainly me. Uh, I'll, I'll go. I'll go and check it out. Yeah, some of his. I work. recommend that book. You, especially if you're interested, check out the chapter, the twenty-three. It's a really funny, funny book. But it, it is hard. It's very hard to to see these things through, especially that that project. I think took about five years to write all those stories and get the timing right to be in San Francisco and. I also, I, I forgot to mention that I dressed up like Richard, Bro Richard Brodigan, who is a very uh, cool dresser. He's got long hair, this big mustache. He wears big funky coats and big funky <laughs> hats. And so when I did the project and I was out there on the street in San Francisco, I dressed up like him. And actually a lot of people recognize me because uh, I guess he he lived in that area or I guess a lot of people know him from that library. And uh, a lot of people were like, hey, uh, you're Richard Rod you're Richard Brodigan, nice. Uh, I actually used to know him and, and I met a lot of people who had a lot of Richard Brodigan stories. So that was pretty cool. That definitely is, man. You're not going to get this kind of experience every day, that's for sure. Yeah, and that's also one that I couldn't quite pull off in Korea. So I was, <laughs> I was chipping away at it and, and just trying to find, find the right timing. Is there a network or some Facebook groups that you're a, a member of that you uh, share ideas or these other things or do you primarily just kind of work alone? Yeah, mostly alone. I don't, I don't do Facebook as much as I used to for posting art. It seems like you don't get a lot of attention there. Uh, the the old um, saying was here today, gone tomorrow, but that's long gone. <laughs> it's, it's here today, yeah. gone, right? It's, it's, yeah. Pretty much. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, you work on stuff for two years and then you get three likes. It's, <laughs> it can be pretty disappointing, but I, I don't do it for that. Obviously, you know, you do want to get people to see your projects when you work so hard on them. Exactly. And uh, any things in the future for exhibitions you'd like to put together or some I other kind of somewhere we could actually go and see it or join in or participate yeah. in these projects? Yeah. I actually really have been working hard with an exhibition in mind. I don't have a, a space or a contract for it or anything like that, but I have a, an idea to show off the Drunken Poet dolls. Uh, I want to 
I want to actually do like a huge wall with a bunch of masks. And uh, I have an idea for, for the exhibition where I would give out maps to whoever comes to the exhibition. And then, you know, after the exhibition ends, you'd have the map, which shows you where you'll be able to actually find these drunken poet dolls on the streets of Daegu, the ones that you saw in the exhibition. So it would be sort of more interactive than your typical exhibition. That's something that I really, really want to do. I don't know if I should have just told you that because it ruins the surprise, but maybe if somebody's, if somebody's listening and they have some space that they wouldn't mind putting my, my exhibition in, that would be great. But yeah, I, I do want to do that just, just to switch things up a little bit. Right. I've left so many dolls out there. I've, I, when we traveled, I, I made a doll for each country, at least one. So I've, I've, the, the drunken poets have traveled quite a bit. And so now I feel like it's time to try and do something a little different with that. Maybe an exhibition would be a good step. Yeah. So it's, it's maybe the next step on the ladder and, or on yeah. the, the kind of uh, their life cycle, whatever that, whatever that is. I was going to ask right. you, do you ever leave like a little, so if I picked up one of these dolls mm-hmm. and it has uh, something written on it and it put, Tell us about that. How, what, do, what would I do with a doll? I think, I think the main thing is, like I was saying about trying to, to be more visual with it, is that the doll is something you can take and you can you could decorate your house. If, I mean, if you like dolls, the thing that's, that I think is good about it is if you don't want it, you don't have to take it. You, you know, whereas most street art, whether you want to look at it or not, it's there. The doll will be gone within a day or two probably, depending on how many people pass through that area. But you pick up the doll, you can read the poem. Hopefully you'll think the poem is funny. Hopefully you'll think that the poem and the doll sort of have a matching feeling to them. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you'll be moved enough that you know you would want to keep it. And if you don't necessarily want to have a doll in your house, you could give it to your nephew, your niece, somebody who likes dolls. There's always going to be somebody. Yeah. And- is there any way for them to get a message back to you or do you, do you just leave it at that? You just leave it with the, the poem on it and that's it? Sometimes I'll leave contact. I've, it depends sort of on where I am. Like when we were traveling, a lot of times I didn't leave the contact because I don't want to really feel like I'm trying to promote myself, especially when I'm in a country where there's a lot of poverty. It feels a little bit weird to be like, hey, come check me out on Instagram, <laughs> you know? Yeah, So I see, I see your point, right. In, those, in, in a lot of cases, I don't leave anything. I, I just want somebody to find it and hopefully find joy in it. I do take pictures and I'll, I'll post it. Uh, and that's enough for me on my side. I don't necessarily need some little kid to discover me. That sort of seems like that's not part of the game. But, but here, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. I guess it just depends on how I'm feeling, how much I want people to discover me. But I, I, I like sort of it being a mystery on both ends. Like, I don't know who picked it up and they don't know who made it. That's There's some beauty to that, I think. I actually, before, long ago, I used to just leave them and not even take pictures. I would just leave it there. And and then there came a point where I was like, well, I kind of forgot and I wish I knew what some of them looked like and what work I did. So I, I started documenting them more. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode of Can't Find My Way Home. Where can you find us? 
You can find us on Facebook at Expat Music Pod or simply search for Can't Find My Way Home on Instagram at can't.findmywayhome. You can also find us on anchor.fm. That's where we do our hosting. Also, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts has a YouTube page with playlists and much, much more. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next one. Cheers.